Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It is the 7th of December, Thursday, 408. What a day. What a day. Just absolutely beautiful out there. It is Pearl Harbor Day. Uh, 2,403 service members uh, who lost their lives on that day. Uh, 1941. Uh, Always worth taking the time to... Remember the veterans, uh, remember uh, the people who fought for us uh, in the war after what happened at Pearl Harbor. But you look at 82 years ago, 82 years ago, more than 2,000 service members and civilians, too. Uh, But then the generation that earned the title, the greatest generation, uh, answered the call after that attack on America. 409, just wanted to take a moment to remember that and honor that as we bring you really, well, one of my favorite Americans who is here, uh, who is an incredible restaurateur, uh, but also a great human. You are going to enjoy a conversation with Tommy Beavis on DeRussia Eats. DeRussia Eats is brought to you by our friends at Liquor Boy in St. Louis Park. Our guest today is a former corporate executive who left all that behind to really make his restaurant grow. Pimento Jamaican Kitchen uh, started with one location and just keeps growing and growing beyond just a force in the kitchen. Tommy and Pimento has become really a force for positive change in our communities Uh and it's so good to have you with us today, Tommy. <laughs> I am so honored to be here, my friend. We've been doing this for a long time, and I'm so oh glad to gosh. be here with you. And- I think back, like, the first time I did a TV story on you guys was, well, it feels like a million years ago. Mm-hmm. Grillfest. Oh, my god! 2012. Holy Right cow. in the heart of downtown Minneapolis, where we had nothing but a little tent and a grill, a backyard grill. And that's what we brought out to downtown Minneapolis and where we gave away food for free as samples to 11 going on 12 years now. And Did you, are. when you were kind of taking that leap at the beginning, you know, how many locations do you have now? We're up to four locations. And because we have an announcement about the fourth one coming up soon. Um, so, yes. So we're growing. We have our restaurants. We have the Pimenta Rum Bar and Pimenta Market in full effect now. The market... Uh, just opened right with Pimento on the lake at right. Bidet Macasco yes, in did. that beautiful new pavilion. Mm-hmm. And you brought some of the stuff along. I yes. do have to ask you, today in Minneapolis, it's it's currently 48 degrees. <laughs> like, what is the vibe like right now? Yo, the vibe on the lake is crazy. We have people jogging around like it's summer and it's crazy. Shorts and t-shirts? Shorts and t-shirt. Shorts and t-shirt. Tank tops and tights. You name it. Minnesotans are running wild right now. I mean, <laughs> have you fully kind of adjusted to what Minnesota weather is like? 
You know, when today, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yes, every single winter. But trust me, I don't I mean, know what the going to be like. You were born in Kingston. <laughs> right, I mean, right. do you have the cold weather blood going through your veins yet? I can only say based on how I'm feeling today. Okay. Fair, right? Come on. Fair. We have to be fair, right? Because this right. is Minnesota. Tomorrow morning can be different. <laughs> but, but I can simply say that I've learned how to dress like a Minnesotan. It took me years to learn to put on, you know, caps and gloves and all that. When I first moved here in 2006, I was walking around in my DCP coat. Right? Like, oh, ain't nothing. Yeah. <laughs> what a chicken wig. And then years in, I'm like, how do these people deal with this? It's... And it's then I figured a it out. terrible place. It's terrible place. It's so cold. But the people make it better. Yeah, I wouldn't say Minnesota is terrible at all. Yeah. No. no what no, do no. you love about I, Minnesota? It? Minnesota weather is ridiculous. That's right. Right. But everything yeah. else about Minnesota is amazing. Is I've chosen to live in Minnesota and chosen yes. to stay here because from a from a from a lifestyle standpoint, Minnesota offers a lot more than any other city in these United States. And I've lived in Miami, Tampa, D.C., Massachusetts, and to say that I, I'm saying that Minnesota offers what could one could consider a utopia right um you can enjoy your green space i can access anywhere within 15 minutes 20 minutes at the most like i literally just raced from bidevacasca to falcon heights at state fair where i thought you were because i'm like why did google take me there and then back here in no time at all in an ndc i'd see you tomorrow morning yeah right and so even just the simple commute factor accessibility where one can get everything get you, you know and it's also a small village mindset where we all take care of each other and that's one of the things i love about minnesota where we treat each other like we're neighbors even if we're in different parts of the cities tommy beavis is the uh, founder of pimento jamaican kitchen you have a unique perspective on operating a business in the twin cities because you started in minneapolis Mm -hmm. you are in saint paul you're Mm -hmm. opening another spot in saint paul yep and you were just telling me that, you know, you've gotten involved in, in trying to make the process better because it's, well, you tell me, is it tough well, to, you, to open a business? It's tough to open a business in general, absolutely. But it's tougher when one has no access to capital to run or open or operate that business. And I can safely say that for people of color, we still don't have access to capital. I think some people don't understand like what that actually means. Mm. So how does that play out? So how that plays out is other businesses usually have like, for example, a line of credit, right? right? So you're, you're, you're taking care of payroll. You can draw down your line of credit. You get your sales coming in from the weekend or next month's big sale. You pay that line of credit down. By and large, people of color don't have access to that. Starting a business. When one is ready to start a business, one creates a business plan, um, do, does their pro forma and all their forecasts, and then goes to, to a bank and institution and say, hey, this is what, what I'm planning on doing. The bank usually takes a look at it, the credit, look at um, one's assets, um, and then make a determination that, yes, I will invest in this business. For people of color, it still does not work that way. Um, we can have access to capital when it comes to buying real estate because real estate is kind of different. But in terms of um, investing in people's business and people's mindsets and people's dreams, it's not um, as easy because um, they see most, for, for the most part, people still see people of color as being too risky. It's seen as a risky investment. As risky. Investment. And the truth is in the restaurant business, mm-hmm. a lot of restaurateurs who open up a place end up putting their their uh, personal wealth mm-hmm. on the line. You put Absolutely. your house on the line or your mm-hmm. car or whatever. And often in Minnesota anyway, for a, a business owner who's a black business mm-hmm. owner or Latino or whatever, 
you, you may not have that sort of backstop of all of that wealth to put on the line. Correct. So the way I was able to build Pimento and the way we've been able to grow is I was able to use my corporate retirement, right, to help get started. Thankfully, um, I was also able to win a Food Network reality show. Well, that helped. Right? That helped. To get my first location free. And also, because of the relationships that we were building on the streets through street events like the right. ones where you and I met 11 years ago, um, we were able to build a grassroots following to where when we launched a Kickstarter campaign, we were able to raise seed mm. capital from the community. So by and large, since day one, it has been either savings or individuals stepping up to support us. Then fast forward, when we grew enough, then we were able to connect with the CDFIs around town, the community development financial institutions, because we don't, in the, in, the, in the BIPOC world, when it comes to capital, we know that there is the financial industry for others. And then for us, we have the community development financial institutions like MEDA, like MCCD, like Next Stage. Um, who are some of the some, nonprofits. Right, some of those are... nonprofits. That's literally how I got funding. So I went to the nonprofits to be like, hey, I'm willing to put money up. Hey, the community's putting money up. Hey, I want a Food Network reality show. Can I please get some crumbs? And that's how I was able to get the first one going. And even till today, in order, in order to grow into our fourth location, we still had to rely on those same nonprofits hmm. uh, um, to be able to get our spaces. To get it going. Right. right. Yeah. Thankfully, U.S. Bank also stepped up to where they could partner with Mita in order to support us on opening up on the lake. Well, you see, and I wanted to ask you that, Tommy Beavis, our guest from Pimento Jamaican Kitchen. You know, you see the banks out there with the photo ops, Yep. right? Mm-hmm. Like you'll see, oh, we help this uh, person of color. We help this minority business owner. It is, I, I think there can be a perception mm-hmm. that, oh, well, if you're a person of color or a minority business owner, it actually it, uh, is easy because it's such great PR for the banks that they're mm-hmm. doing the right thing. But you're telling me that's not really reality. Look at it this way, right? Um, We haven't been able to get any sort of investment. And right now, with the crumbs that we get, there are spaces and, and places in America where people are being sued for investing in BIPOC businesses. So while there are the back, there's the backlash for DEI programs and all, now there's the backlash for even CDFIs and any nonprofit or any company who is specifically saying that they're doing set-aside programs. Oh, so they're going after set-aside programs. So as soon if this continues down this right. trend, soon a state that says, you know what, for construction purposes, we're going to set aside um, a percentage of this big grant for infrastructure to BIPOC are those who are traditionally marginalized. Those programs are under attack right now to where it's being, as states are being sued for those efforts. So even with the crumbs that we get, it's still um, under attack and is definitely nowhere close to enough. And when you look at, say, when I speak with my peers, my, my, my white peers who are in the capital game, right, they would list literally 10, 20 different types of ways in which they can access capital. Ways in which I've never even been privy to, even when I have an MBA. I, I'm like, whoa, I've never even heard of right. this. Yeah, I mean, you, you have an MBA from the Carlson School. Right, like, big up Carlson School, University correct. of Minnesota. Right, right. Yes. right. Um, and, 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 and when I'm hearing some of these ways in which they're accessing capital, I'm like, wow. When I talk about get the cash, get the cash, get the cash, that's what they mean. When I talk about using other people's money, that's what they mean. And I can tell you that even with MBA, even with great credit, even with assets, 
I still am learning ways in which we've been locked out of the access to capital. Wow. Interesting. Tommy Beavis from Pimento Jamaican Kitchen. I love your food. I've always loved your food from the first time I tried it. Absolutely, man. What has been amazing, though, for me to watch is the way that you have grown from, you know, running a great restaurant and making great food to trying to take the fact that you do, as, as a leader, have a platform and the way that you, especially in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, uh, stepped up to try to feed the community. Talk a little bit about like what what called to you in that moment to say we got to do something. Well, traditionally speaking, Pimento has been a supporter of anything community centered, right? So because the community has always stepped up to support us. When we're on the streets of Minneapolis, I see people walking around like, yeah, help me wash this pot and pan. Right. So the community has always been there for us. So we've always been there for them too. And we've been traditionally supporting Black Lives Matter and similar organizations long before George Floyd. So when George Floyd was lynched and I went to the employees and said, you know what, let's figure out how to bring our friends together and um, try to figure out how to solve this the employees looked at me and was like, no, we don't want to talk to anybody. We're hurting. We're hungry. We don't want to talk to anybody. And that's when we decided that we're going to start um, a little food drive. And we thought that we'd get a few cases of water at the most. And we designated a a 10 by 10 area um, in the rum bar, which was closed during COVID, um, to where we'd store stuff. And within 48 hours, we had to close the rum bar and the restaurant because we were so overwhelmed with the generosity of Minnesotans who were showing up Mm. to support their neighbors. So we were getting donations from neighbors and donating that back to the community. Um, And what was beautiful about that is people recognize in that moment that even though we're the food headquarters of the world, Minnesota is, we are also a food desert. And people had no access to food. The restaurants were closed. Um, you know, supermarkets were closed and boarded up. And so essentially what we had to do was step up and become that food destination for so many people in yeah. the cities. And from that, we then moved on and from from um, the food distribution efforts to even having our community healing you know, so we did healing in the streets where right. we had people painting plyboards. We had people doing yoga in the streets. We had people bringing out their art, their music out in the streets to help the community heal. And then fast forward, we then still brought together our friends, whether it's the elected officials or whether it's the activists or our corporate leaders. We brought 150 of our top leaders together in the backyard of Pimento to where we could have a conversation as to how we can move forward as a city and as a community. And they themselves created what is known as Pimento Relief Services. They created this themselves. Uh, right to talk about pretty powerful pretty powerful the community stepping up to say we want to be able to provide resources for those on the front lines of liberation when we talk about liberation we're talking about economic liberation how to get access to capital right right Um, when we talk about social liberation we're talking about healing and we're talking about um, political liberation we're talking about getting access to getting the elected the right folks elected and supporting those who are elected um, on on the path to liberation so some great stuff we're doing and so we get donations from the community and that's how we support others Tommy Beavis is our guest from Pimento Jamaican Kitchen we'll take a break come back and talk about the market yes and talk about the new effort there right on uh, Bidet McCaska and we'll get your three favorite restaurants to visit in the Ooh, Twin yes. Cities, too. Drive Time continues with Derusha Eats in just a minute on CCO. Derusha Eats, brought to you by Liquor Boy. We appreciate their support. Tommy Beavis from Pimento Jamaican Kitchen, the Pimento Rum Bar right on Nicollet Avenue in Minneapolis. 
Uh, there's a pimento at Keg and Case, another one opening downtown St. Paul. Yes. Talk talk about the market, Tommy, because uh, that's a pretty cool thing if you're mm-hmm. walking around Bidet Macasca mm-hmm. and you stop in at that market. Yeah, so the beauty of it is when we were given the opportunity to go on Bidet Macasca, we didn't want to just bring a pimento kitchen and like a coffee shop, but we wanted to bring our whole community with us as we often do. And so what we decided to do is create Pimento Market, which is a concept where we bring together 20 to 30 BIPOC-owned companies and women-owned companies to bring their products to the 7 million people walking around the lake. It is crazy. Chain of lakes, right? Yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. So instead of just bringing it for ourselves, we're bringing um, this to the market. So when one thinks of whether it's bites or sips or unique gifts, we want for them to think of Pimento Market. So this holiday season, trust me, a lot of the items that we have at Pimento Market, that's the only place one can find them. So for example, even the, the couple, we have books um, one one of the books that I'm holding in my hand is Jays for Justice by Nikki um, Levy Armstrong, and then Amina's Queen Amina, um, which is about a little black girl who um, is actually a queen of Nigeria, who also is a warrior. So it says to little black girls, all women across the world, yeah. that they can be both warriors and queens. I think you know the author of that book. I know the author of that one. I have to be married to the author of that one because <laughs> when we had our daughter, Genesis, we recognized that we didn't have any little black girl queen books or right. superhero books. So my wife decided to publish this one through her company, Wise Inc., um, Creative Publishing. And um, now we have other books like that. And, you know, so be, so we are providing even books in the market. But then we have even products like Coco Bloom, Body Souffle, Skin Souffle, Cosmetics. We have uh, Jania's. Uh, do you use Do you use Skin Souffle on your body? Tommy? Listen, man, this is Minnesota. We will use whatever we can <laughs> okay. get to All keep right. that sheen going. <laughs> okay. uh, when you think of the food, mm-hmm. the Jamaican food that uh, you started cooking on the street here mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, what's your number one most popular thing that people order? The number one most popular thing is jerk chicken. That's yeah. that's kind of uh, that's kind of interesting. But what's unique about our jerk chicken is thanks to the people of Minnesota, we're the only place on the planet that offers boneless jerk chicken. Imagine mm. that. Minnesotans are like, yeah, we can handle heat, but bones, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, boneless jerk chicken is our most popular. But what is most exciting, though, is we have grandmothers from Lakeville and Egan coming all the way to the cities to get Oxtail. Yeah. Right? It's that succulent, sweet, tender oxtail that falls right off the bone. And the gravy and the juices over the rice and beans, the coconut rice and beans, the sweet fried plantains on the island slaw. When combined, it is hallelujah right here on earth. You know, so between the oxtail and the jerk chicken, it's always a struggle to figure out uh, who, what one is going to choose. But then now on Bide Makaska, we have an expanded menu. Can I talk about that one? You can. Of Quickly. Course. We have Quickly. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. So we have expanded menu, including jerk burgers, which I brought you one to sample, right? Our wings are phenomenal. We even have oysters on the lake now. So a lot of great things. So come check us out. We have a beer You'll wall. You'll be open. Year round. Right. Year round, right there on the lake. Even when it's frozen, we're going to dig a hole in. Let's go jump in. You ready to jump in? <laughs> I'll jump in. All Let's right. Go. Challenge. Let's go. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Uh, Tommy Beavis, so fun to have you on. 
Can you give me three restaurants that you like to visit? My three restaurants that I like to visit, top secret, is Cobble Social House. That is right mm. downtown behind. Don't tell everyone about right. that. Place. I know, right? It's so nice. They don't even have a lo- uh, the name out there, just the eye. So look for the eye right there right downtown, the right behind Monte Carlo. Yes. Right, so Cobble Social House. The other one I'd have to go with at Soul Bowl. You know, when I want some good fried chicken, some good soul food, I'd have to check out Soul Bowl. And then often times when I'm having working meetings because a lot of us are having working meetings Sammy's is where I usually go oh, but, yeah. but top secret if I a bonus I'm gonna have to throw Kwang's in there because you know I love me some pho okay. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta send the love to the neighbors yeah, so, right, gotta, gotta give some love there but Cobble um, Soul, Soul Bowl Sammy's are, are, three, are my three, really big, three go-to's when I'm, in, when, when I'm feeding for good food but we also have an announcement for about our next location. Let's hear it. Give us the announcement. Yo, we're getting ready, y'all. We're getting ready to open right downtown St. Paul at 354 Wabasha, right behind City Hall. The new Pimento St. Paul grand opening is Monday, now, December 18th. Uh, December 18th. Yes. All right, yes. two weeks away. Two weeks away. So when Tommy. you're going to the wild game, come check us out right downtown St. Paul. Brilliant. Congratulations, man. So good to see you. Thank you for your support over these years, man. 11 years going. Pretty great. Tommy Beavis, go check him out at Pimento on the lake or on uh, in Minneapolis and St. Paul. He's everywhere now. Catering. We'll deliver to you. Catering. There you go. 433. Back in a minute on CCO. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. With such beautiful music, it's hard for me to come out hot out of the break accusing Dan Cook of being a traitor. You wouldn't be the first. I wouldn't be the first. No. You've been accused of being a traitor I've before. I've been accused way worse than that. The word traitor is a part of our discourse almost daily right now. Donald Trump is probably the center of the traitor universe, whether you believe that he is a traitor or he is accusing other people of being a traitor. It's so timely for Steve Yock to write this book, Becoming Benedict Arnold, A Traitor's Tale. Steve, thanks for coming in. It's great being on. Thanks for having me. So when I first heard that you were publishing another book, another look at history through your unique lens, the the concept of traitor really intrigued me because it's a word that I well how do you define it? Well, first of all, the Constitution does right. Article three, section three says it, it's in the the, tra- the founders did us a, a real service. It's very narrowly been defined. It is providing aid and comfort to an active enemy of the United States. The providing comfort part is what I think gets a little tricky, right? Right, and and really. It is not simply – first of all, it has to be an enemy. That is an enemy with whom we are currently engaged in war. Mm. So it's it's super narrow. And that that's a gift they give us because otherwise every time you didn't agree with somebody, they could be a traitor. They could be, right. The, the, but the, that's not it. No, the founders kept it really narrow, which is which is great. It is uh, – it prevents a, a reign of terror that would have occurred. And, and they were thinking about it because of, because of Benedict Arnold and because of George III. 
right? Mm-hmm. Those two guys sort of informed why they kept it narrow when they were putting it together. Because it is a funny – when you look at all of the things defined in the Constitution, it does seem like who sitting at the meeting was like, hey, we better include a part about the, about being a traitor. But it's specifically because of what – uh, had happened earlier. Yeah, I mean, Benedict Arnold's treason was only two or three years or a few years before the Constitutional Convention, yeah. one. And two is, <clears throat> George III said, anyone, everyone who doesn't agree with me is committing treason. Hmm. And they didn't want to live in a world Sounds anymore. Sounds familiar, it doesn't Right, it, they yeah. did not want to live in a world where if you don't agree with me, you're committing treason. And so they kept it really narrow, and that saves us all 250 years later, I think. Steve Yock is our guest, Becoming Benedict Arnold, A Traitor's Tale is the book just out. And, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting about the analysis you did in tracing this tale is the mindset of a traitor. Do you know that you are, in fact, a traitor when you are traitoring? No. And, in fact, what's really interesting, I did a lot of reading about There was a lot of declassified uh, research that was done from the 80s about traitors, and none of them think they're a traitor. Alder James famously said, I'm not a traitor, even though everyone says I'm a traitor. Benedict did not think he was a traitor. He believes he was betrayed. Hmm. Um, And so that – my book is actually in the first person. So it tells Benedict's a traitor's tale from his perspective. And I don't think any traitor ever thinks he or she was a traitor. Right. Um, They get drawn into it. Yeah, it makes it very difficult to have, and it's impossible to think about this without thinking about it through the modern lens and sort of the dialogue that we have today, where people are so kind of loyal and passionate about whoever they support that it becomes very easy to sort of say, well, he's he's doing this because he loves the country. Like, it's not, he's not a traitor. And Benedict had supporters too. Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing now is anyone that doesn't agree with you on both ends, extreme ends of the spectrum, is a traitor. Right. I think what Benedict has in common with a lot of people now is he was utterly uncompromising. Mm-hmm. You were either with him or against him. And unlike Hamilton and Jefferson, who hated each other but ultimately could compromise, Benedict couldn't bring himself to do that. And thus, he viewed anybody who disagreed with him as a traitor. And ironically, of course, he was the traitor. What? When you did your research, well, first, what what drew you to Benedict Arnold? What made you want to focus on him? It's a great story. I mean, it's I, obviously we all knew that he's a big traitor and bad dude, but he was also a great patriot. He was an incredible entrepreneur, and he was the greatest battlefield general on both sides of the war. And yet he gave into his worst impulses and kind of gave into the dark side, if you will, and allowed the evil nature of his nature to 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 ultimately inform his decisions. For people who don't know, because some people may not know the story of Benedict Arnold, uh, certainly not in the detail that you uh, have learned, give people the thumbnail sketch. Uh, he was an early patriot. He was a son of liberty, went to the Constitutional Convention, became an early in, involved in the war, fought bravely in multiple battles, arguably saved the revolution at Valcor Island and at Saratoga. He was severely wounded twice. Um, and then ultimately became disenchanted with the political struggles that were going on in the revolution. We don't quite realize, but there were radicals and conservatives within the revolution, and he was attacked by the radicals, and that drove him ultimately into the British arms with the help of his loving wife, who was also a loyalist. I think today it would be easy to dismiss the motivation of Benedict Arnold and say, well, he, he did it for the money. Because he did get paid by the British Army, he right? Did. Yep. 
Did he do it for the money? No. Um, he he did it partially for the money because he, he was going to be walking away from a fortune when he left. But he did it because he was ultimately uh, completely disenchanted with the, the radical side of the revolution. They treated him badly. Um, he felt – and again, if you don't agree with me, you don't agree with me if I'm Benedict Arnold, then – I'm against you. And by the way, people let him down, including George Washington, who didn't stand behind to sign him in sometimes. But he couldn't see the nuance. And so if you're not going to be with me, I'm going to go join the British because they're going to give me more money and they're going to make me an earl. And I'm going to kill everyone who, including George Washington, who didn't support me enough. It is a remarkable story. I mean, you think like, here's this guy who's a, a general in in the, you know, well, not the United States Army at that time, the Continental Army. And then because things didn't go his way and the personality gets into it and the ego that that someone would would say, well, screw you. I'm joining the Brits. That is it's remarkable. <clears throat> that is exactly it. In fact, you know, his wife's whispering in his ear and saying, look, you know, they don't appreciate you, Benny. Yeah. You should you should go join the other side. And he was prepared to have Washington and the Marquis de Lafayette and Henry Knox and, and Hamilton all hung. Hmm. Um, so it's a it's a tremendous. Is that what would have happened? You think yeah. if he succeeded? Yeah, if he is, if he had succeeded, American history would have been fundamentally different. He he had arranged to have all of them captured and turned over. Uh, uh, the, you know, the, one of the main forts in, in America, and and so I think if he had done that, it would have probably led to what it was then was the Carlisle Commission coming in, and we probably would have had to sue for peace, and we would have remained a, a colony. It would have fundamentally changed the, the course of American history, and he, he failed by such a, a, a tiny little amount. It was such an unbelievable story about his failure, and we were so lucky. As George said, it was the hand of providence that saved our country. Um, it was a, a, an incredibly lucky thing for us. Steve Yuck has written a book called Becoming Benedict Arnold, A Trader's Tale, by trade, you're a lawyer. Yeah. What's what's the the the, the draw for you to it, to tell these stories? Is it is it the history? Is it the research? Is it the writing? What part of it? Yes, it's all it's three. All, yeah. It's all three. It's it's um, first of all, I started writing my first book. That again, it's a story about George Washington that no one knows, and that story was so compelling. And then I started doing dialogue, which I really liked, and I liked the research. And when that book got done, I already had this one in my head. And I have my next book in my head. And so it's, it, it's so fun. And, and it's fun getting inside George Washington's head, getting inside Benedict Arnold's head. Is getting, that why you go first person? Yes. Because it takes a while. But once you get in their head, and I recognize they're not actually in my head. Right. But I get to hear their voices in my head, which is, is a transcendental moment that I cannot stop doing. That moment when you hear Benedict's voice in your head and then you get to put it down on paper is – is is just wonderful and why I'm going to keep doing this. As long Do you as like him? I, I I don't think he was a great guy to hang out with. I would not have wanted to have a beer with him right. like he I did. would with you anytime <laughs> you're available. He doesn't but pass he's the not, beer He's test. not like you. But um, I respect him in the sense that he was a terrific entrepreneur. He started with nothing. Um, he was a brilliant general. His men loved him. Um, but he couldn't get along with people that were equal or above him. He was very prickly. And so I don't think I would have liked him. But he had – I wish I could tell you he was just this evil guy and so it's all good because we can see evil guys. But the reality is when he committed his treason, George Washington said, whom can we trust now? 
And that's the kind of Kuvla now wow. we'd say, if I can't trust him, who the heck can I trust? Right. Right? So That's no, pretty – that's profound. Right? right. Nobody expected that when it was him. Your point of like – he was a successful general. Everybody liked him. He had been wounded twice. He was an amazing Kind of started the Navy, right? I yeah. Mean, I mean, well, he built a whole he Navy. He built a whole Navy. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he was brilliant. And so it was shocking hmm. that he did what he did. So at the end of the day, yeah, I respect him. I don't like him. Yeah. I think that right. makes sense. Yeah, and right. he, 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 at the end of the day, we're lucky he failed. Um, but it was a darn close thing, and it's a ripping yarn. Steve Yuck is the author. The book is Becoming Benedict Arnold. Uh, nice, nice holiday gift. It's a great holiday gift, especially for the history lover in your life. History lovers will love it. Uh, such a dramatic story. I can't wait to dig into it. Steve, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me on. People can find it everywhere, right? Absolutely. Amazon. And if you go to my website, yach.com, Y-O-C-H, you can buy locally there too. Very good. Becoming George Washington was the first book. Becoming Benedict Arnold. You're not going to tell us who the next one is, are you? Becoming Victorious. Oh, Becoming Victorious. It's about the victory at Yorktown. Nice. All right. Really good. Steve Yach, thank you. 449 Traffic and Weather next on CCO. As if the effort to refund... Part of the surplus to Minnesotans wasn't handled stupidly enough. We just got another punch in the gut yesterday when the federal government announced what really should have been fairly predictable, which is that they are taxing the refunds people got from the state. Why, why, are, they, why are they taxing it? Because the law passed, what, five days after the expiration of the federal COVID emergency time? A little more than that. 11 days? Yeah, I think it was 11. It was the 26th, and I think the the cutoff date was the 15th. And apparently the folks at the Capitol couldn't read a calendar, so. The whole thing has been uh, embarrassing, And this is insulting, right? People just spent that money. That was the idea. Now, some of the tax will not be a ton of money, right? But $26 federal tax on a $260 rebate check. Then think about all the time that's going to be spent and the money to send out 1099 type forms to people. We said at the time that the number was an insult to taxpayers, and this just further adds salt to that wound. Uh, and all due respect to the governor, his outrage yesterday was preposterous after not lifting a finger to fight for more than the paltry sum that the legislature was willing to give. So the whole thing is a pox on the DFL. He called, uh, blamed the federal government, but I would just say the real BS is the fact that they couldn't get this passed earlier, that the number was so low, and that the the guy who's the head of the National Governors Association, I mean, don't you have any juice to kind of get something going? Maybe not. Maybe you, you have no power with the bureaucrats at the IRS, but just embarrassing. It's embar- Merry Christmas, everyone. Here's your tax bill for the stupid... Two small refund check we sent you. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices so join the revolution subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring listen on your odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast you'll be glad you did